One of the most common themes throughout literature, really throughout world literature and throughout the centuries, it's just such a common theme, one can find it in all areas of culture, is the idea of a hidden prince or princess just turning up somehow. Lost or hidden or exchanged as a baby, sent to an orphanage, someplace to live or something, or a nunnery, get thee to a nunnery. How often do I get to say get thee to an unary in a voice note? And somehow the baby, a prince or princess, somehow turns up. Now, of course, this idea of a lost king in Judaism and Chassidus very much often refers to God because that's the stir of our lives, to find the lost king. And we're, of course, his lost princess. But throughout world literature, one finds very often this theme, it's common. common. Just very simple examples. Mark Twain's famous historical novel, A Prince and the Prince and the Pauper about two boys born on exactly the same day that look exactly the same. One happens to have been born to an abusive father and the other one was the son of the king. And they switch places and the king lives the life of the pauper with all the sufferings. And that also applies to God, of course. And you have this also, Alexander Dumas and the Man in the Iron Mask, that movie which is based on part of the Three Musketeers series, the idea that King Louis Fourteenth had a hidden brother that was the man with the iron mask put into jail but it's a very common theme because ultimately what we all look for in life or better stated probably what we all dream of or daydream of is somehow some incredible change of luck somehow and this fantasy of somehow realizing that one is really special one is really a king we all we all carry the hero archetype in us and the Truman Show hit very close to home for some people. So we all have this idea of somehow being royal. But what's fascinating and what most people don't know, and I remember years ago noticing this and Mamish laughing out loud before there was such an Arusha Tevis an acronym, is that this idea of the two brothers, the king and the pauper, the prince and the pauper, the two babies exchange at birth, is Mamish a Rashi... In this week's Parsha, I have no idea from an academic perspective or historical perspective if Rashi, of course, was in the 11th century. Is there a source before that that has the story? But if you take a look in this week's Parsha, in Perakhafal of chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, so the Torah says that a person that's hanged, a person that's hanged on a tree, because we know that Kolon is Skolon Nitlin, that the law is that when the court, the Sanhedrin, kills somebody, somebody's liable to death penalty, their body, their corpse is then hung on a tree. That's a mitzvah, the Torah says. It's part of the punishment, of course, having to do with the whole idea that the Torah gives punishments in this world, understanding that this life is only a foyer, a gateway to, re- to the real eternal life, which of course will also be in this world, but after Mashiach comes. And with this understanding, Torah teaches us, if somebody, when somebody suffers, to understand that it's better to get the punishment in this world, and, and so to speak, you know, come squeaky clean in the next life. But Lemaisa, the Torah says that a person has to have this punishment to have the atonement of stoning. For some sins, that's a punishment. Then the body is supposed to be hung up on a tree, but then the Torah says, but one is not allowed to leave the corpse of a human being, Jew or non-Jew. A human being's corpse is never allowed to be treated, God forbid, with any disrespect at all. It has to be taken down. The corpse has to be taken down right away. And the Torah says why? The Torah says why one 
Why must we be so careful to make sure that a human corpse is never left in a way of bizayon, in a way of humiliation? Why must we be so careful with Kovet Habrius, respecting all humanity? Because the Torah says that every human being looks like God. As Rashi says in the Toluy, it's a humiliation for God that a human being should be tied on a tree. Kilas Elokim, it's a humiliation to Elokim, to Hashem, that a human corpse should be hanged up in a way of in, in, in a way that's that's not respectful. And Rashi says, because every human being is in the divine image, every human being is in the divine image. Like we know from Perkyavas, a human being is literally the way God manifests. And Rashi brings a mushal, brings a parable of two babies. One became a king, and one became a robber. And the robber, or whatever, he, he was killed. And the king made sure to take his corpse down, his twin brother, because it looked exactly like the king. Says Rashi, there are other commentators that don't agree with Rashi, but this is how Rashi explains the Pusik with this parable, that every human being is divine. Every human being is in the divine image. Anyone that learns Kabbalah or Hasidus knows that it's literal. You know, without Kabbalah and Chassidus, <clears throat> the Rambam, Aristotle, they spoke about the divine image just being intellect. But in Kabbalah and Chassidus, it's literal every single aspect of the human body is, is a reflection of the way Ein Sof, God's infinite being, manifests to become reality. Where Our body is a macrocosm of the microcosm of Hashem. And Sarashi says the king made sure to take down the body of his brother, and so that's how it is with us and Hashem. Every human being looks like God, and the way you treat a human being is, somebody would say, is one the way one would treat Hashem. That's what the Rashi says, the parable the king says, take that body down because they're going to think it's the king himself. Now this is an extremely beautiful idea, but to say that people like us, whenever we look at any human being, see the divine, it's a wonderful thing to strive for. The great Rabbi A.J. Heschel, his book of poetry is called God's Ineffable Name is Human. And of course, and that's, that's poetic, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe of our generation actually lived like that. The famous story of a woman who was in her late 60s, I think, she stood online to get a dollar for two hours. And the Rebbe at the time was in his 80s, late 80s, and he would stand for seven, eight hours on a Sunday on his feet. And she asked him, how do you stand on your feet for so many hours? And the Rebbe said to her, what do you mean? When you count diamonds, you don't get tired. And when the Rebbe looked at any person, the Rebbe saw a diamond. But people like us, it's hard for us to always see that on most people we meet. But uh, this a week ago, we just finished Shiva of a Jew. In my humble opinion, uh, what do I know? But Rabbi Zalman Nechemi Goldberg, Zeicher Tzadik Levrocha, was, in my humble opinion, if not the, one of the G'dayle Hador when it came to learning. I had the great schus of once asking him a shayla. He, you know, he was such a genius. I had merited to meet, thank God, quite a few smart people in my life, but I had not met anyone that was able, like, I asked him a question. I had a dispute at the time with a neighbor of mine, a financial question. And I went over to Rabzal Menachemi, because he would, Rabzal Menachemi Goldberg, who many of you probably never even heard of, because he wasn't involved in politics. Unfortunately, we know today, most of those that, uh, their voices are heard most, is, has to do with politics. So, Reb Zalman was such a humble person, such a genius, and he would daven, he used to walk by himself, no fanfare, he wouldn't have like 
he would just walk by himself. I remember walking in Shikun Chabad in Yerushalayim. He would walk by himself, and you could see he was like talking to himself or thinking and learning Torah. And he would have in Shikun Chabad in the in the shul over there in the minion seven o'clock in the morning. So I went over to him, asked him a question about this financial dispute. He didn't just give me where it says in Shulchan Aruch the answer. He started from the Gemara Baba Basra, Rabbeinu Yoyna, the Rimagash. I was so astounded I couldn't even repeat a minute later what his answer was. Rabbi was the son-in-law of the great Shleim Zaman Arbach, who was also a genius in humility. And both of them lived in a way that they were Mephit's Torah, they spread Torah, their whole life was Torah. Their whole, Rabbi like you saw in him, he never stopped thinking and learning Torah. He literally was, his life was Torah every moment, teaching Torah, learning Torah, and yet with such humility and so down to earth. When you see somebody like that, you see a little, a taste, a glimmer of what it means to reflect the divine, of what it means to walk this earth just being focused on Torah and God and not caring about anything else. Rashi says, that we look like God. To those that knew him, Rabbi Zaman demonstrated that we could resemble the divine. Those that knew him knew what it meant to be in the presence of someone princely, heavenly, divine and royal. May go straight to the throne of mercy and bring Mashiach, Mamish, Mamish, now.